This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Well, those of you who were here last week will know that we, are, we started a series on the four Brahma-viharas. And the Brahma-viharas include loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And tonight, it's on compassion. So the meditation that I guided focused on developing this heart of compassion. And in the development of the practice, we take those phrases, just as I had guided, and we repeat them again and again, so we let the mind dwell on the thought of compassion. And we repeat it, and we contemplate it, and we dwell upon it as fully and as completely as we can. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, if we were aware that we all contain love within us and that we could foster and develop it, we would certainly give it far more attention than we do. When we undertake a compassion practice, we basically give it our attention. We have this love, we have this compassion within us. But we we undertake a practice to shine the light on it, to highlight it, to strengthen it, and to expose it a little bit more in our daily life. I looked up the word compassion in the dictionary, and it says, compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another's suffering or misfortune, accompanied by a desire to alleviate the pain or remove its cause. It's a pretty straightforward description of what compassion is, but in the Buddhist context, it's basically understood the same, but not quite so much a feeling. Compassion is classified as a mental factor. It is the intention of non-cruelty. And it has the effect of uprooting any desire to harm, any wish that somebody might suffer. It ends the thought of cruelty. Compassion is closely allied with metta, or loving-kindness. And it's said that it's understood to be the manifestation of metta when metta meets the suffering of another. Whenever we direct a heart that is filled with goodwill to an experience of pain, what arises is this quivering of the heart of compassion. And we can experience compassion as a kind of trembling quality, a kind of soft spot within our hearts. And it's the capacity that we have to soften to the pain of others and to really open to the pain that we experience. Jay Krishnamurti said, Do you, do you understand what simple love is? Not the complexity of sexual love nor the love of God, but just love, being tender, really gentle in one's whole approach to things. How is there to come into being this sensitivity which makes you alert not to do any harm to people, to animals, to flowers? Do you know what it means to be sensitive? 
It means surely to have a tender feeling for things, to see an animal suffering and do something about it, to remove a stone from the path because so many bare feet walk there, to pick up a nail on the road because somebody's car might get a puncture. To be sensitive is to feel for people, for birds, for flowers, for trees, not because they are yours, but just because you are awake to the extraordinary beauty of things. Compassion is a steady and strong quality that doesn't require things to be nice. It endures the uncertainties and the pain, not with an attitude of weakness or fear, but with the softness and a gentleness of strength. Compassion is so soft and so strong that it unwinds our inner tensions as we unravel the roots of suffering. Sometimes we don't want to open to suffering and we close ourselves off, we separate a bit. Ramdas said compassion is being in the presence of suffering without causing suffering, without causing suffering through separation. He says it's like learning to keep one's eyes opened in hell. Compassion is based on the understanding of connection, that all beings, all animals, all birds, all humans are all motivated by the same wish, to be free from suffering and to be happy. Cultivating love and compassion allows us to increase our ability to stay connected in situations that we might otherwise react to with habitual fear, avoidance, or rejection. It's important to consider not only what compassion is, but also what it is not. It is obviously not cruelty. That's the opposite of compassion, what's called the far enemy. The near enemy is a quality that looks similar to compassion, but it's not really compassion. It's often called pity. Compassion is not pity. It's not fear, it's not aversion, it's not righteous anger. Compassion is not affected by either aversion or separation. There's a quote from How Can I Help, a lovely book by Ram Dass and Paul Gorman that says, compassion and pity are very different. Whereas compassion reflects the yearning of the heart to merge and take on some of the suffering, pity is a controlled set of thoughts designed to assure separateness. Compassion is the spontaneous response of love. Pity, the involuntary reflex of fear. Pity, fear, despair, sorrow, grief, righteous anger, these are not compassion. When we feel these near enemies to compassion, we can pause, we can stop, we can soften the breathing. We can reach underneath that fear and despair and connect with this simple wish to be free from suffering and to know that all beings share this wish to not suffer. Compassion arises when there is the perception of suffering. And so to cultivate compassion, we must be willing to perceive, to know, to stay steady and connected 
in the face of pain. In the karuna practice, karuna means compassion, the compassion practice, we bring to mind images, images sometimes of people suffering. We put ourselves in situations where there is obvious suffering, and we don't have to look very far. We can usually find suffering in our own bodies. If we don't find it right now in our bodies, we can find it in our families. We can find it among our friends. Somebody is always in pain. Somebody is always struggling. When we do experience grief and pain, do we allow ourselves to feel it? One of my friends was experiencing, uh, going through the, the grief, uh, a, a strong grief process, and her commitment was simply to feel it when it arose. Just simple, just allow herself the space to feel it when it arose. And sometimes that meant just stopping. She told me about times she was bicycling to work and she would just have to stop and just stand under a tree because she was experiencing the grief. And she would just give herself that moment, allow that wave to arise, be fully felt, pass, and then get back on her bike and continue on to work. And then maybe later in the day as she was munching on a sandwich, she would have to stop for a moment and just feel that grief. And then it would come and it would go. And then she would continue with her work. And on through the weeks of her grief process, just giving herself the space, not to make it come nor to make it go, but to give herself the space to feel it and to have that compassion to feel her own pain, to not turn away from it. She told me that in the midst of each of these experiences, when she was standing by the side of the road, she would also feel the touch of the breeze or the warmth of the sun. She would feel the squishiness of her sandwich. Each opening to her own pain opened her just a little bit more to the experience of being alive, the experience of being awake. I was teaching a mindfulness class a number of years ago, and um, one of the students came to the class and said that he was still in a state of shock, actually. He had just gotten the news that um, uh, his 26-year-old son was killed in a car accident. And it was quite a shock. I mean, how do you even process that? It takes a while to open to that. It takes a while to even, how can we let that in? And so we let ourselves go softly into the, into the grief. We don't force, our, force ourselves into it. We don't dive into the center of it. Sometimes we just touch the edge and then come back and feel ourselves sitting and then touch the edge of that pain again. The essence of compassion is being willing to open to pain, to not fear it to the point that we close ourselves off. But compassion is not so much a feeling, it's really an intention. And so this intention, this wish to alleviate pain is expressed in our action. 
We will see it in how we respond to the painful situations of life. Do we allow ourselves to be moved by them? Do we allow ourselves to respond to them? A friend of mine has a um, summer house, and she goes to this house every um, summer. And she, she had just gotten this house one summer and had just met the neighbors um, and then went off again for the winter where she works and then came back the next summer. And she saw the neighbor and she said, oh, I met your wife last summer. And he said, oh, she died last week. And then there was this awkward silence and nobody really knew what to say. And so he, he made some comments to kind of like make it socially okay. Like, um, I think he said something like, oh, it's really natural or... You know, it happens to everybody or something like that, which is true. But it was just kind of to fill in this awkward moment. And then they, the conversation went back to sort of social pleasantries about the garden, and then they parted. And my friend felt like this just didn't feel right somehow. And so she went back a little bit later when it was tea time and brought some cookies or something. And they sat down and they had a lovely conversation and a lovely interaction because she felt she just needed to acknowledge what had been said and to not just avoid it through that awkwardness. I asked her if I could use this story in a talk of compa about compassion. And she said, well, sure, but it wasn't really compassion. It was just the right thing to do. Compassion is just that. It's our natural response. It's nothing more than the right thing to do. We wish for people to be free from suffering. And when we act on that wish, it just feels like we finally did the right thing. Whether it was easy or not, whether it was welcome or not, doesn't matter. We have a sense that we just did the right thing. Compassion is the natural response when the awakened heart, the heart of loving kindness, is faced with suffering. The Zen priest Ryokan said, Oh, that my priest's robes were wide enough to gather up all the suffering people in this floating world. Sometimes we might wish that we could gather up all the suffering people, offer some protection, some care. Compassion is being willing to relate openly to the fact of pain, to things as they are, without getting caught up in the habits of avoiding what's unpleasant or painful. Compassion does not require anything to be nice. One of the deep aspects to compassion is this willingness to be with things without resistance. It's an expression of non-resistance, that willingness to stay connected, not obsessed with our own concerns, not limited by just the way that we want things in our little world. We reflect what obstructs the flow of our own compassion, what prevents intimacy with life. Often there's an experience of simply wanting what's pleasant and avoiding what's pain. It seems very natural. But any time that we have aversion to the pain, we have blocked the possibility of opening to compassion, with compassion, whether that's compassion towards our own pain or towards the pain of others. 
fear, anger, rejection, denial, in some ways we might find that we separate ourselves from suffering. Can you think of a time when you witnessed somebody suffering recently? How did you respond? Did you turn your head and look away? Did you blame somebody for it? A lot of people like to blame the government. Did you intellectualize the problem? Or just avoid it by compulsively reaching for a snack? Sometimes we block the pain with this anger. It shouldn't be this way. Why is the world this way? Or we withdraw into a sense of our own privacy and our little comfort world. There is suffering that leads to more suffering, and there is suffering that leads to the end of suffering. What leads to more suffering are reactions that deny, avoid, blame, hate, or reject. In some way, they separate us from the truth of things, and that perpetuates suffering. If we react with discomfort, so that we don't want to go close to the suffering. We're disempowering ourselves from really opening to that pain and responding the way that we most deeply wish. Simply opening to the pain that occurs will give rise to compassion, to feel the pain, not as something that is evil and horrible in the world, but as pain, not terrifying, not bad, just suffering. Experiencing pain is not wrong, and it's not a sign of failure or stupidity or being wrong. It's just pain. Without judging it as wrong or bad, we open to it. Often we're very happy to watch suffering when it's a little bit distant, you know, like it's removed and it's on television. In fact, sometimes we laugh at people's pain when it's part of an entertainment or it's just a little bit further removed. But compassion is predicated on this willingness to feel our own suffering with self-acceptance and to understand that other beings suffer. And just as we don't want to suffer, so they don't want to suffer. And we use ourselves as an example to respond wisely to the suffering of others. Can we treat other people as we would like to be treated when we are hurting, when we are scared? There is a difference between distracting ourselves from pain and opening to the suffering of the world. Compassion has this power to open ourselves to the suffering. And in that way, it has this interesting aspect to help overcome some of the compulsive addictions that we suffer by. Because when we're training ourselves to be present with pain, we're weakening the tendency to grasp after pleasures. Addiction is usually motivated by a desire for pleasure and a fear of pain. We suffer and we don't want to open to it. So we reach for a snack, we reach for a drink, we procrastinate, we somehow try to dull ourselves out of our own pain. 
This habitual movement towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant keeps us trapped and closes off access to compassion. Again, from How Can I Help? Discomfort in the presence of suffering is usually less toxic and infectious when it is no longer denied. This quality of unjudging awareness not only frees us and others from the consequences of our reactivity, it allows us to enter more consciously into the experience of suffering itself. We're no longer running away, glancing over our shoulder. We can stop and face what's right before us. We can look at what is. How consciously do you enter into the experience of suffering? Sometimes we're afraid that we're just not going to be able to help. There can be a sense of personal inadequacy that makes us tentative, that makes us hesitant, as though we dare not help. Maybe we'd make a mistake. Maybe we'd make it worse. Maybe it would just be embarrassing. Or maybe we'd just wait and somebody else could help better. These thoughts thwart our wish to help, and they limit our capacity to give and to share. We limit our own sense of initiative and wind up losing opportunities to simply do what is good, what is right. And then, very often, we'll judge ourselves for being even more inadequate because we didn't do what we thought was right. This can perpetuate a downward cycle of self-doubt. There is a generosity of spirit that gives that reaches out, that simply asks, how can I help, and stays to listen to the response, and then acts, maybe not perfectly, but the best that we can, trusting that our intention is based on non-cruelty. Fundamentally, compassion practice is willing to be in the presence of suffering without fear, and without separation, to ask, how can I help, and to give it a try. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.